Welcome to the Dykema Washington Outlook podcast for May 2018. I'm Jim Brandell, one of Dykema's government policy advisors, and I'm joined by Andy Buchek, who's also from the government policy uh, group. Andy, welcome. Good afternoon. We're coming uh, from the Dykema's K Street offices here in Washington, and today we're going to talk about what's going on in Washington here in the month of May, both in Congress, in the administration, as well as give you an outlook for the November uh, 2018 midterm elections. So right now in Washington, Andy, as we look um, to the, for here for the month of May, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Washington. What are some of the big items that Congress has to take care of between now and the midterm elections in November? I think the biggest items on the agenda between now and the end of the year is related to federal appropriations and spending. Uh, Congress was delayed last year in finishing up the appropriations bill, and it bled way over into even March of this year. And so there's a little bit of a renewed effort here to try to get back to some semblance of regular order and holding tight to the calendar. So so the, the um, omnibus we heard about in March, that funds the government until when? The end of this fiscal year, which ends when? September 30th. Okay, great. And so now we're trying to do all the appropriations bills for fiscal year 19, which begin October 1 of this calendar year. That's correct. And last year, Congress's consideration of those, there are 12 different appropriations bills. And last year, Congress's consideration of those lagged pretty substantially. This year, we've already seen five bills get marked up in the subcom- in their, by their subcommittee in the House, and the remainder of them are scheduled over the next week or two in the House. So by Memorial Day, the House will have done all 12 bills through the committee, which lines them up to be able to consider bills throughout the summer with the hope that maybe a few of them can actually get signed into law before the start of the fiscal year. Usually the bigger problem is the Senate, and Senator Shelby taking over as the new chairman of the Appropriations Committee from Senator Cochran, who I think is really an appropriator at heart, has sort of showed a renewed sense of trying to complete the work. And just this morning, Senator Shelby, along with Senator Leahy, who's the top Democrat in the Appropriations Committee, put out a joint statement that laid out their schedule for getting bills through their committee, and they have actually laid out a schedule that would have all of the Senate appropriations bills completed in the committee before the 4th of July, which again... That's the first time that would be has happened in a long time. That would certainly be a, a new way of doing things compared to how late they have been in the past. So what's the, what's the prognosis for actually... Uh, having all the appropriations bills done by October 1. Is that a pipe dream, or will they have to do some type of CR? What what do you think is going to happen? I think getting them all done is a little bit ambitious, but I think for the first time in a while, we could see a handful of those bills getting done with maybe just perhaps some of the, the most controversial ones being left to the end, which tend to be bills that have a bunch of policy riders in them, that range in, in the past we've seen policy riders about the Confederate flag derail a bill. There are always policy riders related to abortion policy that complicate the process. Some of those types of issues come up and it could certainly sidetrack a few of the bills. But even, even this week, President Trump has tweeted out about Congress getting appropriations bills done, which is a little bit more involved and more in the weeds than the president tends to be at this point in the process. And so I think there's a lot of pressure to get 
to make at least a good showing in terms of appropriations bills and get a, a handful at the least and almost all of them um, ideally done before October 1. Well, that's good news on the appropriations front, at least for uh, some transparency in the process that we haven't seen in a while. So let's see if that continues. Uh, in addition to appropriations, there's a few other things that are kind of kind of kicking around that Congress is still trying to work on too, I believe. There's the Farm Bill, uh, which is a, um, reauthorized every so many years. This Farm Bill that they're working on now reauthorizes a lot of the agricultural programs and food assistance programs, I think for another five years through 2023. Um, what else is out there? Well, there's <clears throat> there's been a lot of talk about infrastructure, but the only bills that have to get done related to infrastructure is the Federal Aviation Administration authorization, which funds obviously airports and air traffic control and all of those functions. Um, again, Congress approves uh, those bills every five years, and that bill expires in roughly 140 days or so. And so Congress needs to act between now and then to prevent, um, well, to keep all of that operating. Um, there, at the beginning of the year, there was larger talk about infrastructure, and in terms of infrastructure, I think they were referring to, most people were thinking anyway, of highways and that type of infrastructure. But at this point in the process, it seems as sort of hopes for that has kind of fallen apart. And instead, when we think about infrastructure, we're thinking about the, the FAA and the Water Resources Development Act, which funds water infrastructure, things around the Great Lakes, sewers, has a lot of implications for drinking water, has a lot of implications for local governments. And we've seen Congress hold a few hearings on that issue. And there is still a, a fair amount of optimism that Congress, which authorizes these bills every two years, will be able to complete its work on that. And that the largest chunk of infrastructure legislation will focus on water resources, and on the airports and airlines. Good things for an election year, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> There's also a lot of talk out there about maybe a second tax bill, Tax Reform 2.0. Um, however, in an election year, uh, without a, a formal budget that's actually passed by both uh, House and Senate, it doesn't seem like there's probably much hope to actually have a, another tax bill between now and the election, does there? Probably not, but if they did a second tax bill, what are the types of things that you think would they would try to include in it? Well, one of the biggest things that I think you'll hear, and, and I think the House will try to move, is some type of permanency on the individual side. As we saw in the tax bill that was passed at the end of last year, on the corporate side of the equation, those tax cuts and tax reform measures were made permanent within... Um, uh, but however, on the individual side, uh, those tax rates, because of the way that the, um, that, uh, that the budgetary rules are, those were actually temporary for a 10-year period. So I think there's, there might be some movement, at least on the House side, to at least move a bill that indicates they would like to make those individual tax rates permanent. That doesn't seem to have a lot of light, of, uh, light of, at the end of the day for the Senate to move, but I think you may see some messaging on that as well. So... So those are the big things that Congress needs to get done between now and October 1. But there's probably a few other things, Andy, that they're working on. And so let's touch base on some of those. Obviously, next month's uh, summit with North Korea between the president and uh, the North Korean leader on uh, the 12th of June is, is riding high in a lot of people's minds. Um, what else are they working on? Well, I think 
this part, this time of right now, everyone is really focusing on the NAFTA negotiations. Uh, just last week, Speaker Ryan laid out a pretty specific timetable in terms of when these negotiations need to be completed in order for Congress to have enough time to consider uh, a new trade agreement before the end of the year under Trade Promotion Authority. And so the Speaker laid out May 17th as a deadline, not just for a handshake agreement, but for papers to be filed and for the official process to start in order to give enough time. And so with just a few days left before that deadline, I think a lot of folks are watching very carefully for smoke signals or any other sign that an agreement can be reached on NAFTA. Yeah, so uh, when we do our podcast next month, we'll definitely have an update on, on where we are on that for sure. So with that taking up a lot of the, you know, the energy when it comes to the administration and, and Congress, I think one of the other things that people need to see is, is in Congress is the, the amount of time the Senate is working on the uh, nomination and um, process and the approval of, um, of appointments that require Senate confirmation. Um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is, is using a lot of the time on the Senate floor for nominations, both on the judicial side as well as within the executive branch. Um, but there's still a lot of vacancies out there, um, especially in the executive branch, Is uh, Andy. We're hearing a lot. I mean, the Washington Post keeps a tracker of this. So w what is the tracker telling us in regards to where things are right now? Well, there are an awful lot of people that – a lot of, an awful lot of positions that need to be filled and an awful lot of people that are still awaiting confirmation. So there are still over 200 positions where there has been no nominee named. And so that creates an awful lot of pressure on the, the federal bureaucracy because oftentimes decisions aren't made without the political appointee in place. Uh, we still have, I think we have about 300 or so of the positions that have been confirmed, but we're still looking for another 125, 128 people waiting nominations. Some of the big nominations that people are tracking closely these days there was just a very high-profile hearing last week with the nominee for the CIA, uh, and that will take up a, probably a fair amount of time on the Senate floor for consideration. The president still needs to nominate a new Secretary of Veterans Affairs, which also will take up considerable time on the Senate floor in the coming weeks which just cuts into how what other legislation can be done. Right, and there's still several uh, departments that don't even have the number two and number three people. I know at Commerce, as well as uh, at others, um, they don't have the number two people, two person in place. So in addition to the judicial nominations, uh, there'll be a lot of work on the um, executive branch nominations as well to fill that as well. So. A lot of work to be done here in Washington, and, um, and we'll update you next month on, on where those are. So now, Andy, let's look towards November. I mean, there's a lot of speculation on what may or may not happen. It's a midterm election. History tells us a lot of different things, so let's touch base about that. So right now in the House Representatives, there's about a 23-seat majority that the House has for Republicans. In the Senate, there's a 51-49 split. Um, what does history normally tell us about what may happen in a midterm election? Well, typically, the president's party loses seats. And all of the numbers seem to be converging somewhere in this 23 to 25 range. And there were 23 seats. There are 23 districts that have a Republican House member that were carried by Hillary Clinton, coincidentally. 
The average number of seats the president's party loses in a midterm election is 25. So all of the numbers are pointing to the fact that it is very, very tenuous as to which party is going to control the House of Representatives after the November election. Yeah, and obviously people try to look at tea leaves um, from like some of the special elections that are out there. Obviously, a higher profile one was in Pennsylvania not too long ago when Connor Lamb won in a district that Donald Trump won by 20 plus points. Um, I know a lot of people are, are looking to that as, as tea leaves, um, as potential. Now, there are 100 districts, Republican districts, where Trump won by 20% or less. Does that mean all 100 are necessarily vulnerable? I don't think it means all 100 are vulnerable, but it certainly expands the playing field where Democrats will be putting up you know, strong candidates. And what we've seen in these special elections is that the enthusiasm level on the Democratic side has typically outpaced the enthusiasm level on the Republican side. And so even some of these special election races where Republicans prevailed, Democrats had significantly better showing um, than they had in almost any previous election. And I think that that is probably what is giving a lot of Democrats some optimism in terms of their chances of taking over control of the House of Representatives after the elections in November. Well, let's look at the Senate then. Um, so the Senate obviously looks like it, it may be a, a toss-up on who will gain control as well. Um, it takes 60 votes to close off debate on legislative matters, um, and it doesn't look like either party will, will reach that threshold, but it looks like somewhere between, between that is where we'll kind of end up. So, you know, right now there were, t I think that what the common um, number that people use, there are 10 Democrats up for re-election in states that Trump won. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Republicans necessarily have a big advantage, though, does it? Well, it certainly makes it a little more challenging, especially when you have states where the president carried by a really wide margin. Um, and so I think that even though the president's party typically loses seats in a midterm election, in this instance, with 23 Democrats and only, I think, 10 Republicans or 11 Republicans up for re-election, the deck is clearly stacked against Democrats in terms of making any types of major gains. Um, there's one Republican, Dean Heller in Nevada, that is uh, up for re-election in a state that was carried by Hillary Clinton versus the 10 Democrats that you mentioned. And so I think the Senate will come down to a number of very individual races where we'll see races like just last week was the West Virginia primary where the, the sitting attorney general prevailed and is now going to take on Senator Manchin in West Virginia, who, although being quite popular you know, some of the more recent polls that came out since the primary show, Senator Manchin, neck and neck, and even down a point or two in certain races. And so I think you're going to see a number of very, very tight Senate races. And it certainly wouldn't come as a big shock as if it took a few days after the November elections to figure out who ultimately had control of the Senate. Well, obviously, a lot has to, has to do on who um, the Republicans put up against some of those folks, like you mentioned in West Virginia. And primaries are occurring um, you know, throughout the summer, so we'll definitely keep an eye on that. So, um, Well, thank you, Andy, for, um, for that background. 
And thank you all for listening to our, our May podcast. We're going to end now on a, a little piece of trivia that we're going to leave with you. Um, so you have an incentive to come back <clears throat> next month to, to find the answer. So, Andy, what's our trivia question for the month of May? Well, I guess since we were talk, just talking about elections, let's go with an election-related trivia question. Excellent. In his two presidential elections, Barack Obama won at least one county in every state except one. There was only one state that never had a county vote for Barack Obama in either 2008 or 2012. Wow. So name that state. Okay. That's a great question. I don't even know the answer to that one. Okay. Well... Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Andy. Um, and we look forward to uh, joining um, you again in, uh, in June for our next uh, Dykema Washington Outlook podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. The materials contained in this audio are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute the legal or other professional advice of Dykema Gossett PLLC and affiliates. Dykema. Neither Dykema nor any other Dykema entity accepts any responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on information contained in this audio. Permission is given for the downloading and temporary storage of this audio for the purpose of viewing on a personal electronic device. The contents of this audio are protected by copyright under international conventions, and apart from the permission stated, the reproduction, permanent storage, or retransmission of the contents of this audio is prohibited without the prior written consent of DICOMA. Rules of certain state supreme courts may consider this advertising and require us to advise you of such designation. Copyright 2017, Dykema Gossett, PLLC.